Be sure to check out the brand new Hockey Prospectus 2015-16 book, which is available now in both print and digital download. The book dives into the advanced statistics for all 30 NHL teams, which includes assessments for every player who played in an NHL game last season, and also a team essay for every team as well. To find out more on how to purchase the book, please visit HockeyPerspectus.com. Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for October 23rd of 2015. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And in the second week of the NHL season, we've already had our first uh, coaching firing. Not surprising. And uh, Columbus fired a a very personable John Tortorella. We'll get into that. Uh, There's some other teams. They didn't fire a very personal. What did you say higher then? Higher. Oh, good grief. It's not a good start on my behalf. Continue. <laughs> there are some other coaches that may be on the hot seat. Uh, Bruce Boudreau, Mike Johnston. Uh, how could those two be intertwined, per- potentially? And uh, got some injuries around the league so far. Most notably, Duncan Keith of Chicago Blackhawks. We'll discuss what that means for them. And uh, some Pittsburgh Penguin stuff, as always. So let's start it off with uh, Mr. Personality John Tortorella. Uh, Todd Richards, 0-7 start to the season. That has not happened that often in NHL history. And, you know, Columbus had high expectations this year, and their the start to their year went the opposite of everything they wanted to happen. So here we are. Um, it's a case for me with that Columbus thing is – high expectations, a general manager not knowing what his roster actually is and overreacting instead of... like This season could basically be done now, but he's got a few players on that team that are not going to get along with Tortorella. This could be one of the stupidest panic moves I've ever seen. It had to be done, just Tortorella's not the right guy for the job, for who that roster is. And... It doesn't matter how much he yells and screams at players to block shots and, and try and help protect Bobrovsky. They're still not going to get the puck out of their zone. Uh, yes, and I agree with you. I don't think firing Mr. Richards was necessarily the wrong thing to do. But John Tortorella is not very progressive in his thought process and how things go. He's very abrasive. In fact, I believe he's already called Ryan Johansson out of shape and benched him in the first game of his tenure. Yeah, yeah, great. Ryan Johansson, your best player. Let's uh, call him out as if he's the problem. Yeah. It's you get he's 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 basically the future of that franchise in regards to how they're going to move forward. Him and Brandon Saad, in theory, should be the core. Uh, a part of the core. Um, the the of, big of duo. Yeah, of, of what their team is moving forward. Um, and, and to be perfectly honest, a lot of the problems that that team has got has got to do with the fact their back six aren't fantastic. And Bobrovsky, who traditionally does start off slowly, has started off going backwards. And seeing as I think he's their highest paid player uh, per year at the moment, Goalkeepers are coach killers, and that's what's happening. And in saviors. Situation. Correct. Totally, I'm totally down with that. I mean, you, you look at Vralamov with what went on in, in um, Colorado. There's a very good chance that he could have saved Roy's job and also cost him his job 
by the end of the year as well because he's such a up and down almost they were all up and down unless you're absolutely elite but yeah i don't i don't think i just don't think he's the right coach for the job to be honest and bringing in a hard like you have a look at most of that roster bringing in a hard ass is just gonna piss these players off and they're probably not going to play for him and dubinsky left new york with a sigh of relief now look where he ends up and he's been good for them he has I just, I don't, I just don't think this was the right move, and I think this team is a uh, a victim of expectations. A lot of people, including myself, thought Columbus would would make it if not, you know, compete for a playoff spot. And being zero and eight, you know, I mean, they have they have to basically go three out of four for the rest of the year, and that's not happening in that division. No, to put themselves back in a situation to, to get into the into the mix for, you know, a wild card spot. So it's really, really tough. I just I don't know. You you get there and it feels like Kicker Linen's trying to save his own job rather than look for the forward development of the club. I think they're exactly where I thought they would be, and let me mm-hmm. say preface that by saying I don't mean the O and eight start. No, I think they're not playing as bad as their record, but I also didn't have them as like one of the top three teams in the division, and we spoke a lot about their defense core. Yeah. The the real curveball here is being dead last in the NHL at even strength with their save percentage at only 861 with league average in any given year 921. So <laughs> you're... And that's the thing that absolutely baffles me. If we can sit there and look at those statistics, you can get there and go, there are probably a couple of games there that they would have won if Bobrovsky had at least been league average, which you would expect for him because I have a high opinion of what golly Bob can provide. So... How do you get there and, and stick all of this on the coach and fire the coach? Firing the coach isn't going to help Bobrovsky improve his output. No, but like, it could like, improve some of the other things that they're kind of average at, and and that's fine. I I can understand that. Uh, but I think the goaltending was a, the most significant variable in their 0-8 start to this point. Yeah, and I don't think that terrible start by Bobrovsky – I don't think you can, can attribute enough of what's going on in front of him to that. He's let in a couple of leakers every game, and that's just and at the wrong time. And it really has obviously shaken the confidence of the entire team in front of him. So that back six that you you know quite cleverly pointed out through the offseason that you didn't think was quite up to snuff to, to push this team forward just gets worse and worse and worse. Like it, It's like a snowball coming down a hill it suddenly becomes an avalanche so you get there with it i just i just think this is a stupid move in the sense that tortorella is not going to improve any of that in regards to the way he plays and he's even said he takes no credence into advanced stats at all he's come out and just said he thinks it's all a load of baloney and a load of garbage so i already thought kekalainen was moving away from that sort of thought process. So they probably align with what the general manager and the coaching staff are going to think now. But I don't think that's going to be in the NHL in this day and age. Their shooting percentage is uh, lower than I thought, too. They are bottom five. They're only shooting 4.5%. Average is about 8 
eight and a half on any given year. So yep. their possession's actually not bad. I think their eighth overall, Fenwick at uh, even strength, is 51.8. So they haven't right, really so, been playing all that bad. So if you get there and look at it, their PDO is going to be absolutely garbage, right? So in theory, that's going to have to balance out to some point through the year to not be that, to, it can't be that bad. Unfortunately. So oh, and eight. Not- it won't matter yeah. if they're cooked. I think they're cooked in the, the yeah. season shot. So Yep. I just it's one of those things I get there and I look at it and you go, There is always one team that rides a high PDO for the entire year. You can look at um, Colorado and Calgary for examples of that. You always have a team that has a terrible PDO for the entire year. Just nothing goes right. They have bad save percentage, they have bad shooting percentage. It's just what happens, and it just seems to stick on the team for an entire year. I thought that was going to be Minnesota last year, but uh, Dubnik came in and, and righted that ship a little bit in, in that sense. So they say what was a pretty good possession year in, in that context. So, <clears throat> excuse me, Columbus had a terrible year last year with injuries. Everyone thought a healthy Columbus team would make the playoffs, barring yourself. Um so last year, this year, you thought that they this year you you didn't think they'd make the playoffs for this season, right? Last year they got decimated by injuries. I definitely didn't think they were a lock for a playoff. No, 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 no. and that and you made it pretty clear you thought their back end was going to be the Achilles heel to that team, and you know ignoring the O and eight the way they played it occasionally that was pretty much how it looked. But if they get stung by the PDO devil this year, and they end up being terrible again, um, the general manager has to take a long-term look at this, and if they end up in the if they end up in that bottom five, that's not a bad thing in regards to adding another young, talented player to that roster. That's best-case scenario for them this year, really. Hmm. But you go and take Tortorella on board, obviously he's going to go out to try and win. They're going to end up in that middle of the pack, ninth or 10th, in the conference, that middle area draft pick sort of thing, and a season that was wasted is going to be completely wasted because they get nothing back for the terrible start, if that makes sense. I think the worst part about what they've done here is they spent a second-round pick to get the guy. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, actually, come on. That's a good argument you made about other coaching moves as well. Like, really? Second round pick for that guy? I still don't know why you have to give compensation for a p- person that's not even on the coaching roster. I get it for assistant coaches. Fully appreciate that. I think once you're fired, that's that should be the end of it. I agree. I Actually, agree. I, honestly, I think the whole thing needs to go. I'm okay with the compensation for someone that's on the coaching staff that's inside that coaching group. I, I, I'm okay with that. Whether or not it should be a second or a third or a fourth round draft, you can worry about what the compensation should be. But getting something back for someone that's in your coaching system, I'm down with that. But when you've already fired a guy, you shouldn't get compensation back for that. Like, Did Pittsburgh get compensation for Bosma because he was still under contract with them? I think they, they did. Didn't they? they did not seek compensation for Shero for whatever reason, but they did for Bilesma. You see, and I think that's wrong. Both were fired. There's no need to seek compensation because whilst you might be paying them, that was your decision to fire them. You don't have them in your organisation anymore. Too bad. They're free. You can. 
pick them up and not expect compensation back. I just think it's ridiculous. Not a big fan of it, to be honest. I think it's silly. Yeah, I will. We're both in the, the, the same boat there. So that said, with Columbus, they've obviously gone and, and jumped on onto Tortorella. You do get there, and you have to ask yourself what other options were out there that they could have grabbed a hold of. Mike Keenan. <laughs> okay, let's have a serious answer to that question because they're almost replicas of each other in regards to their personality type. Uh, Boucher, maybe. Mm. Yep, that's that's not a bad option. Although he hasn't got any out in his contract over in Europe, so he couldn't. Oh, well, I'm so, I'm not privy to that. I did, I didn't know. No, but but I thought that too. I I actually looked into it for that for that exact reason. I went, oh, why not him? And then it's like, well, he can't. He's tied up in his contract. He can't bail on that. There's no out clause uh, in that. But so you do get there and you go, well, who's around? Like Ron Wilson. Like where do you Randy, where do you go? Do Randy you know? Carlisle, but that that was, that will tie into our next uh, subject. Yeah, that was sort of what I was going to say. So, you know, whilst we both agree that there was a need for a change there, and the coach is easier to change than the the roster, we understand that that might have been the only choice they had. Sad. Yeah, and not the Brandon kind. <laughs> Yeah, we don't have sound effects on this podcast yet. No, 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 no. We're not a morning radio show. Um, but, okay, so Columbus, yep, they did that. Uh, Anaheim, is there's there's been increased chatter, I would say, on Randy Carlisle coming back and Bruce, Bruce Boudreaux going. You're out. serious? I didn't know there was chatter about that going the other way. I knew there's been chatter about Bruce being given, which I think would be ridiculous, Bruce being given the rear end. I didn't know that there was talk of Carlisle going back in there. I forget where I saw that, but, you know, you know how rumors work. It might not be true. No, I, I, I appreciate that. But did you, I know that Anaheim at the moment cannot score and their shooting percentage is ridiculously low and they could be the team that gets stung with the shooting percentage woes to the season 2.78 so they'll score yeah. three goals for every hundred shots at even strength oh actually a little less than three goals yeah that's pretty terrible it is so you get there with it and it can't stay that low the question for anaheim is that how far up will it go to get it back to close to that eight percent league average like they shoot at six or seven percent for the rest of the year. They're probably going to be okay, but are they going to turn that around quick enough before Boudreau loses his job? Well, their their big guys have to do better. I think Getzlaff and Perry are like incredibly low with their points, um, right? Does that not mm-hmm. sound about right? Maybe one point chess? No, it does. There are a couple of teams that had high expectations whose stars and superstars are certainly not producing at the moment to the level that anyone expected. They're not even close. Like the, the Sid, Sid should... being one. Yeah, oh, well, Sid, you got Kessel. you got players throughout um, the league that at the moment aren't producing where you would have expected them to. 
And then the teams where players are producing where they've been expected to, if not better, are dominating and are playing brilliant hockey and really fun hockey to watch. So it's good to see. Anaheim's leading scorers, Hampus Lindholm, Mike Santorelli, Ricard Rackle, two points each. I going to say, was it the defenseman? <laughs> um, Corey Perry yeah, has it. one assist. Ryan can... Kessler, one assist. And Ryan Getzlaff, Getzlaff one, assist. one assist. So you get there with it and you go, in... that can't stay like that. Those guys are too good to not produce. So how long do you wait for it to change? Me, I would be, I would be patient with it because it's clearly obvious. I, th- I think they were one yeah. of the favorites for the Stanley Cup, let alone, you yep. know. And and the other, I mean, they're they're one four and one, and that's not very good. But here's some teams they're behind: Arizona, Vancouver, Edmonton. They're all teams I think they can catch. I agree. I'm I'm down with I'm down with that theory. So I, there are teams there that the Pacific is down this year. So at least I think they are. Well, I mean, you get there, and I, I, I cannot remember where you and I thought Calgary would would end up, but I really didn't think they'd be one and five. Nope, I didn't think so either. I thought they actually made better moves to kind of. Uh, avoid that yeah they you know last yeah. year we we discussed they they rode some of that uh variance in 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 the good way but um you know I, it's funny how that we, works you and i both thought that they added to their roster to avoid the colorado disease of the year before like but know, they are only a 44 percent possession team through the first few games so while we thought they made some roster moves to fix that it hasn't Avoid translated it. yet yep and then their pdo is not on the side to protect them against that low that low possession so it it does all sort of coalesce into you know logic and common sense in in that aspect but there's been no the, the thing that i found really interesting with, with calgary is that i've not heard anyone sort of talk about oh, my God, let's make some panic moves or let's get rid of the coach. The fans still seem to realize that last year might have been an aberration and a development moving forward to get to the Stanley Cup. Like, players had career years last year. No one was sort of expecting them to have career years again this year, and they do realize that the guys that are probably going to get them to the Stanley Cup are still ridiculously young anyway. Um, so to me, it doesn't really feel like, you know, the Calgary crowd are all over this team going, holy crap, why are you guys so bad? I think they realise that this team's not quite there. And that whole expectation thing is extremely different for Calgary to Columbus, and you can see the different attitudes to, well, the coaches. Although I think TJ Brody's out for them for quite a bit. And that doesn't help Giordano. You can tell that he hasn't quite meshed the way he did with Brody. So who carries who on that pairing? (laughs) Yeah. But if if um, back to back to Anaheim, if if they oh, sorry, no, that's fine. Uh, you know, if Boudreaux goes, he'll certainly be a, a guy that some other teams would be interested in. I think you got a team like Pittsburgh that's off to a very slow start that could obviously think about something like that. And 
you know, in a vacuum, I think Bruce Boudreaux in Pittsburgh is a great thing. However, back to that stupid compensation rule, the more I think about it, uh, Pittsburgh's already traded their first-round pick for Phil Kessel, and that's fine. If you're going to give up a first-rounder, it might as well be for someone like Phil Kessel, but you can't give up another second-round pick. I mean, they just hit the jackpot with their last one they made with Daniel Sprong, or at least it's looking that way. If he gets played. No, I'm saying long-term. Like No, I, no, I was being facetious for the, yeah, for the, the now. It's okay. It's one of those things where you're right in regards to that switch. You ignore the ignore the compensation for all the teams, right? Which other team is going to blink first that could start the carousel? Because if Anaheim, like you said, if Anaheim did give Bruce the boot, I think Pittsburgh would seriously consider it. Um, whereas if Pittsburgh gave Johnson the boot, no one's going to fire their current NHL coach for a yeah, junior coach. Absolutely not. Looks, You're right. You're right. Yeah. That looks like he's just not got a clue at times with what he wants to do out there on the ice. And and so it really would come down to another team panicking. And I don't – besides Anaheim and, and Pittsburgh, I can't see another um, team. Who, who can you think of? Look, I'm looking down through the list here and – there's one team I could think of, and I think they probably should have done it a while back. But uh, depending on the Islanders, if they were to fall off, Capuano would be a guy that I could see chopped. Could Could you see what he he brings as a coach actually helping Pittsburgh or Anaheim? Oh no, I meant to hire like a Boudreaux. Yeah, so that's the thing. Like if 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 Boudreaux goes. I think the Islanders and the Penguins should be all over it, even with the compensation problems. That Although, hasn't Daryl Sutter's name been brought up in kind of these discussions just a little bit? I get, I get this feeling that a lot of people think that he's wearing thin on that roster in regards to his abrasive nature. And Claude he... Julian, another one? Well, did, well, yeah, he is another one. And that'll be really interesting... Okay, so there's more out there than I thought. When you get there and you do roll it out, because you're right, I have heard stuff about about Julian, you know, being on the block, and I think he was probably lucky to keep his job when the new general manager came in. To be honest, you sort of, if you're a new GM, you should just wipe the slate and, and go again. So, um, we'll see what happens. I mean, if they if they have a lot of games where they get blown out, even though they are sort of win lose win lose win lose, but if they're getting blown out. I can't see the coaching staff wanting to keep him around, but I think that's a roster thing more so than a freaking coaching thing, to be honest. For who? Um, I don't know. Rumour has it that Joel Quenville, the freaking general manager, wants to fire him every year, but he keeps winning, so he can't. So if Chicago have issues, obviously, with the Keith thing that we'll get into at some stage, you know, if Chicago do start to peter out down the bottom... Would they consider doing something that I think would be very stupid? I just, you just don't know. Well, the funny thing with like something like Chicago is, you know, what was Quinville before he got there? You know, your average coach, people know his name. Coach. I don't know. He did all right in Colorado and St. Louis. I thought he was okay there. I, I, yeah, I absolutely. Yeah. But you get that roster and, you know, you start to look really good. Well, you can make the argument with Babcock in regards to that um, 
in regards to that Detroit roster. I mean, this is one of those things where... Well, with, with Babcock, Babcock, though, the, the Anaheim run was very impressive. Yeah, okay, but put it to you this way. Babcock literally has flopped it out on the table, ready for it to get it chopped off, if, if he can't turn his team around. Because a lot of people will look back and go, it was the roster more so than the coach. Because you look at the situations he's been in, he's left... He's left at the right time, and he's come in at the right time for some of those rosters. So credit to him for putting his putting his balls on the line, but we'll see what happens. So I guess we'll just kind of, since we have talked about Chicago and Quinville there, yeah, uh, Duncan Keith being out for um, a few weeks, right, four to six? Yeah, this is this is going to be interesting to see what happens with that Chicago roster. It's a little bit weaker than it was last season because of obviously having to trade away players due to wonderful cap hits of, of superstar players. So, you know, you lose your number one defenseman, usually everyone sees your team falls apart. Pittsburgh is testament to that. So we'll see what happens with that Chicago record as they go through the next four to six. It really will be fascinating to kind of track because... I believe we both spoke during the the Stanley Cup final last year. The big story for us was, is Duncan Keith going to fall apart playing 30 minutes a night after the Roosevelt injury? And it turned out, no, he didn't. And he rightfully won the Conn Smythe Trophy because of that. That was very impressive. Yes, it was. (laughs) And now you lose Sharp, you lose Aduya, who else? Sad. You know they've lost yeah. some some good players. They're still a good team. I think I think they're still a good team. But to lose that guy, that's going to be tough. And I'm very intrigued to see what kind of happens the next few weeks when they lose that. It's gonna, and that's the thing. It'll be really interesting to see whether Quenville tries to space out the talent that he's got left, or whether he just puts Jarmos and Seabrook together and just plays them thirty minutes a game. And just goes, I've got six weeks at the most to, to drill these guys through it. Once I get Keith back, then we can shuffle it around again and and reduce their minutes so that they're not exhausted by the end of the year. Or whether he tries to spread it through and try and have guys like um, Van Riemsdyk. I, just, I can't remember the rest of their... Trevor Daly's there. Trevor Daly, that's the way. And, and yeah, that's where that I do your daily trade, which, you know, it had, it had to happen. Like, we understand that concept of it. Um, did that's it? where that hurts. I don't think it did. Uh, Daily makes three point three, and well, Oduya makes that, three. Well, three seven. It, that is a difference for that yeah. for for them because they're so close up to it. Yeah, exactly. So you get there with it, and it's like you have to pay Kane and Taves what you paid them that's just market rate so you have to shuffle around in other areas and that's where you have to try and find cheap production and you know who knows like Van Riemsdijk might step up and be the player they thought they were going to get before he broke his leg so we'll see how that goes and whether Keith comes back and is Duncan Keith or whether he's a slightly less version of Duncan Keith for the rest of the year because of the the rehab involved and trying to play catch up for the rest of the year. I think he'll come back just fine. 
he should, and you do expect that, but it doesn't always happen. If they bring him back early because the team's tanking, and we've seen teams do that, i.e. Boston Machara, um, it can be a problem. So hopefully Chicago take the, the smart and the safe route, make sure he does his full rehab, gets to the end of it, and then just you know trust that the team will, will stay 50-50 until he does get back. Tough division. They're 4-3 and three and they're second to last. I know. I know. They've got a positive record and they're that far down, but it does show you that the team that I picked to win the division last year has got it right this year. Yeah, and um, probably one of my top uh, hockey package watches. Like, I go out of yeah, my way I, to watch them when yeah, they're on. Yeah, good fun. I mean, two other games so far have been against Pittsburgh, so obviously that was very convenient. But they have probably the best uh, broadcast team, play-by-play, yes. and... Uh, it was... So much fun watching that game last night, hearing those two call the game. Strader and Ray are awesome. Dave Strader is amazing. And, uh, yes. But And the team is just as good as the broadcast team. And, and to put two and two together there, that's pretty great. My wife got there and was watching the game with me last night. And she got there and said, is this a national broadcast or is this... She goes, it's definitely not the Pittsburgh broadcast. And I said, no. I said, this is the Dallas This is the Dallas crew. And she goes, you wouldn't even know that they're the Dallas crew. So it, it shows you how well they are at getting across what's going on in the game rather than just looking at it from a Dallas viewpoint. <laughs> oh, that's great. The Pittsburgh comment. <sighs> you know. Yeah, that is what it is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Yeah. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you who has surprised me with their start this year is Nashville. To be 6-1 and one after 7, um, I thought they'd be good, but, you know, it's been proven that quick starts really do help when it gets tough later in the year. Yeah, all the points count the same. You might as well start collecting them right out of the gate. Yep, yep, yep. And so that's, that's really good. Really, really good. There's only one team in that Central Division that doesn't have a positive record, and that's Colorado. Everyone else is 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 ahead of the games they've lost. They're they're too worried about those courses from center ice, you know. <laughs> um, All those players any, padding their stats. Yeah. Anything else to say about the Chicago situation, today? Well, certainly, um, I do not root for injuries at all. Um, but they're a team that's been incredibly healthy. So, like I said before, I'm very intrigued to see how they go through a stretch to where one of their best is going to be out for a significant stretch of time. And yes, Patrick Kane did miss, uh, you know, the last part of the regular season last year, but you're in a spot where you've already accumulated just a ton of points. So the playoffs were never in jeopardy. And Patrick Kane does not mean as much to that team as Duncan Keith by any stretch of the imagination. So, it's it, That's one of the things that's really going to interest me in regards to the effect of a puck-moving defenseman being taken out of a lineup. It would be, I'd, love to, well, I'd love to see that in regards to L.A. as well, if, if Dowdy disappeared. But obviously, we don't want to see injuries. You know what I mean? So it would be interesting case studies in that situation to see what happens to teams that people think are fantastic, uh, the puck possession, but you lose that number one guy that drives the team forward, 
what happens when he goes? What happens to your forwards? They lose their ability to produce. So you're right. The next six weeks will be really fun to see with, with Chicago. Yes. Wonder who's on their schedule coming up. Wonder if they get a break there. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Tomorrow they get Tampa. Oh Jesus. <laughs> uh so Stanley Cup rematch. Yeah, which it's not anymore. Monday they get the Ducks, who could break out at any time. Then it's the Jets, the Wild, and the Kings. So Yeah. That'd be interesting. It's the problem you've got being in that Western Conference. You know, you, you go east to try and get a little bit of a break. No, you get Tampa. So you go back to that west, and it's pretty tight. So where do we head from here on our aimless podcast this week? Directionless? Um, I don't know. It's a bit early to get into Penguin stuff. Um... What do you think? Okay, last week we got there and we discussed how ridiculous it was that Ovi got benched for not turning up on time. It's the only game they've lost. Yes, it is. They are five and one. They yep. and the one loss really was Ovi, and they are up one nothing as we're recording this podcast right now. They just uh, scored to go up over uh... Edmonton. Is that who they're playing? Or is it Calgary? Yeah. Hang on, you talk about Detroit or Washington? Washington. Yeah, they're playing Edmund. Well, they're playing Connor. Yes, they are. Oh, Ovi. uh, Oh, jeez, what a goal. So Ovi gets his own entry on the left side, pulls up, goes cross ice, which is one touch to the back door to Kuznetsov, who goes forehand, backhand on a deke for a goal. That was a really nice goal. So there, yeah. Ovi's in the lineup. Guess what? They're doing they're, well. <laughs> they're gonna, they are going to be fun to watch. That's the reality with, with Washington. I, I think I said to you before the podcast, I'm not sold on, on their back end. They've got some good talent back there. Um, well, Carlson's good. Niskanen's good. Yeah. We'll leave the rest of them alone. But they've got Brayden Holby back there. So that should... That should really, really help in regards to covering up those areas that, that are going to happen. So uh, Washington are, are really primed. It, it's it's interesting that everyone thought Washington Washington's window with Ovi was done. But they've proven that you can restructure a team around Ovi and put together a lineup that's capable of doing it. That, I see no reason why they can't come out one or two in the Metro um, and be extremely come to the playoffs. Yeah, it's looking uh, pretty good in that regard. Yeah. I mean, they've scored they've scored equal most goals in the division. Um, they've played two games less than the Rangers, and they're barely giving up a goal. You know, they're going to hit a little bit of a soft spot. It's, everyone does, no matter how good you are. But like you said, nail the points up now. Hitting those soft spots later in the year isn't going to hurt you as much. Back to old faithful. Yeah, go on. Pittsburgh. <laughs> Why not? They're not doing so hot. No, but they're not doing so hot for the reasons we both thought would happen. Yeah, I can't get 
puck out of their zone with any speed for their forwards to attack the neutral zone with speed to push defenders back to create space. And when the when those forwards have to get that extra 10 to 15 feet deeper in the zone to do it, it just allows more time for the defensemen and for the back checkers to get into position. It was the thing that was really obvious against Dallas is when Pittsburgh were flying at the start of the game, Dallas couldn't get into their defensive structure to clog up the neutral zone. Um, and then as soon as Dallas worked out to press the defensemen a little harder and have their passes miss, they owned the neutral zone. Pittsburgh couldn't get through there with any speed at all because the forwards had to come back so deep. So they have to work out how they want to fix that back end. Are they going to get there and bring in the young guys that can move the puck? They're going to make errors. There's no doubt about that. Are they going to bring in the guys that can move the puck and give those guys some speed? Or are they going to trade from a position of strength, which is their right wingers, and try and bring a defenseman in? Um, you know, the problem, uh, they're not off to the start that they'd like to be, and, and fans are kind of on edge a little bit about it, and I get it. But they've played Dallas twice, so that's that's a real uphill battle, especially with um, one of those games without Dupuis and then the other game without Bennett. So you're, you're down a forward there, not counting Eric Fair. And their D isn't great. I know some people will argue that their shot suppression and goals against stuff is pretty okay so far, and I, and I agree with that. Uh, but that doesn't take into consideration why they're not scoring goals, and they're not scoring goals because they don't have that little extra push from the back end like you had mentioned. And it's really tough when you don't have skilled guys back there to help out with the offense. And that's not just on the transition game. Think about a sustained offensive shift in, in the other team's zone. And you're working it and you go and you're working it from down low to up high. And you're working hard. You got really good players that are trying to take it from you. And you're halfway through the shift and you still got a little bit of energy left. But the puck comes up to Rob Scuderi. And you just know, you know damn well, and he's open, so it's like you got to kind of move it up there because that's what's available. It's the NHL. You can't, like, not use all five guys. And you just know it's either going to be a D to D to the wide end side that puts that guy at a bad angle, or he's just going to jam it up the wall and you got to use the rest of your energy fighting in non-dangerous areas, and it's just rubbish. Look, the assist he got on the Kessel goal against... Florida was basically Luongo's error. Luongo didn't even have to stick his mid up. It was going over the. It was going over his head. That's how. That's how much Scuderi missed the net, shooting the puck towards the net with a clear lane. And it was just fortunate that Luongo, you know, flubbed a glove that he should have grabbed. I mean, you could even you could have actually said that it was goalie interference, take the puck out of the zone because. Kessel did whack his glove with his stick as it went through, but it, it is just—it's just frustrating to see that back end. And the thing is, it's not just Scuderi. Lovejoy's got a skill set about him, but it should be a five or a six. Yeah. Olimata, Olimata having a bad year, having a bad year. 
he is understandable, but yes. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly. But he is. He's not playing the level that Pittsburgh need him to. Whether or not, and what they expected him to, which I think was a bit harsh, considering that he's had two shoulder surgeries and gone through all the other health concerns. Um, Eric Cole has been what I thought Eric Cole would be, but he shouldn't be your number two. He should be your number three, or, at, yeah. or even better, your number four. Um, so there are guys in that lineup that are playing to probably where you would expect them to play, but they're all playing out of position. And now he's playing with Scuderi. Well, yeah. And it just, yeah. So it shows you the respect that they've got got for for Cole to try and cover that up. Look, it's one of those things where you get there with and you go, the trading of Despray has two problems. One, they got older, Lovejoy's not good enough, but he was the only Penguin that could play with Scuderi and not be a tie fire. If you're going to keep Scuderi in the lineup... Trading away the spray has just destroyed any chance you've got of having a pair with him in it that's going to be any good. He was the only player I've seen that's been able to actually play with him since Skidiri came back. Well, you start to make some decisions that don't pan out. You start to put your team and organization in situations that are really not conducive to what you could want to be doing. And uh, to pray for Lovejoy, terrible trade. That was really, really bad. There's just no, there was no rationale at the time. Th- that wasn't a hindsight thing. That was the moment it was made. Not good. Yeah. <laughs> so then you get into Ray Shero extending uh, Kunitz, and I-, I have to say. He finished the year terrible last year, and I did not think it would continue to start this year, and it has. So I'm a little—I was a little surprised by that. I thought he was going to actually get his hands to start working again. Uh, that has not happened, and he rightfully got demoted today from top six to uh, third line. That was a proper move by Mike Johnston today. Uh, you have David Perron, the first-round pick traded for him. Um, I'm not going to pretend to say that I did not support that at the time because I think Perron's larger sample speaks to him being a decent top six winger that has been able to put up decent amounts of offense, albeit streaky, just like everybody, uh, with with a good possession game. And, And so far this year, he has not been very good at all. And then you get into Rob Scuderi extension, and now you're in a win-now mode, and you're kind of forced to keep making moves because you kind of have to. Because your window, you've you've made the window smaller by kind of selling out for the now. You know what I mean? I, I know exactly what you mean. I think that the frustrating thing for me is it feels as though the coaching staff don't really know what they want to do with all their toys in the in the, the forward group. They know they've got a bunch of talent there. But here's um, the problem. All the left wingers stink this year. Every one of the, them. At the moment, they do. No, I've, no, yeah, I've, but that's what I'm saying. Like They've gotten yeah. nothing from a whole third of the ice. No, I understand that. But the thing is, though, they've barely done anything in regards to changing that up in the first seven games. I'll give Johnson credit. He's got there and he's given the players a chance to turn it around, and they've not. So you get there and you go, he's finally starting to shift some lines around at practice. Um, Hopefully, 
flipping a few guys around here and there. I, I honestly think all it's going to take is a couple of players to just click into position. Some of these, it's not square peg in a round hole. It's a little bit like no one's ever going to fit perfectly, I think, down that left side of the lineup with the way the roster is currently constructed. But you can at least try to get an oval hole into a circle hole, like an oval peg into a circle peg, and get them to mesh a little bit better. Because um, there have been situations where the left wingers had opportunities and they've just shot it straight into the goalie or missed the net altogether. And they've got other options on that left side that they can flip up and down the lineup. You know, you and I both think Sprong should at least get a chance up in that top six somewhere. Yeah, definitely. But it's not going to be at right wing because that's a Castle Hornquist area and those two shouldn't be moved. They're bona fide top six right wingers. Large they sample get, sizes to speak I'm to that. More, I'm more than happy to flip them. Have Kessel have a couple of cracks for a few games. Not a couple of shifts, but a few games with Gino because Gino's flying at the moment. Oh, no, and, no, no. I'm fine with Kessel yeah. moving to Gino or Sid. It really, Kessel's going to play with one of the two on the right wing. That's That's fine. Yeah, I, don't, I, exactly. I really have no preference to what they do. No, there. but you get there with it, and it's like when Perrin came into the lineup last year, he was flying with Crosby until he, until he hurt a rib. So you get there with it, and it's like throw Perrin up there for a couple of games, see if he clicks with two players that like to hold the puck, and all he has to do is float into the empty spot. And you know what I mean? Like, but Perron is a guy that likes to hold the puck. I think that's where his strong suit is. Horn, are you? Were you speaking about Hornquist? No, no. And it's yeah. You especially can't have three guys that want the puck on the. I don't line. think You're he right. does want the puck. I think Horn, Hornquist is a player that. I don't mean this like a derogatory way, but he's slap happy. Like. He dumps it a lot. He doesn't do a lot of the controlled exits and entry stuff. It's always kind of chip plays and stuff like that. So I don't think he does like to hold the puck a lot. I think his best asset is being a straight line guy who has a high work ethic, uh, very willing to go to the net regardless of punishment taken and has a knack for being around the net with the puck and knowing what to do with it and not afraid to shoot. Those are his strengths. Uh, I don't think he has much poise with the puck. I don't think he's very cerebral, uh, so he's a certain niche player that has certainly has a spot that's I'm not saying that I know it kind of kind of seems like I bashed him there it was just I think <laughs> I I think that's legit criticism and I think you can have legit criticism on any player um the the pros definitely outweigh the cons I'm not even saying that but you get what I'm saying? He's a certain kind of – he's a limited player, but his within his limit, he's very, very, very good. So the thing with Hornquist, you're right. He does chip and chase quite a lot. One of the things that Kunitz and Dupuy were very, very good at with Sid when they played with him that year that that line dominated was they could chip the puck to areas where Sid could collect it with speed, right? what's stopping Hornquist from being able to do the chip and chase but chip it for Sid to collect it and him just go to the net? Well, I know people aren't high on Kunitz at the moment, and I'm not saying you should be, but Kunitz is a very cerebral player. He has very, very good hands. Not anymore, but throughout the years, 
I mean, if you want to go back as far as 2009, Max Talbot's second goal in Game 7 versus Detroit, just the little area pass that he made to free Talbot for that was amazing with a guy that buried him. Those are the kind of plays that Kunitz can make, whereas I think Hornquist would have been high off the glass a little bit too hard. I mean, it's impossible to say, but you get what I'm saying? Like, no, I no, think no, Kunitz has a more deft touch. That's it, why, no, that's the reason I asked the question. That was the comparison. I, I wanted to try and see what your opinion was on that particular sort of stuff. So, Underrated you, skill is Kunitz getting the puck into areas to sit. That is no longer it, something he's doing. But it is what he was doing when he was a 35-goal guy and, and going well with Sid. Those are the underrated plays that he was making. He's no longer making them, which is hurting the team. But, um, yeah, I don't think Hornquist has ever been that guy. Let me ask you another another question, though. They win against Florida. Sid has a bazillion shots on goal, right? What? And he looked, he looked interested. He looked... Powerful in his skating stride. He looked like he couldn't get knocked off the puck. You get there and you go and you play against Dallas, a better team at the moment than what Florida is. Where did all that explosiveness disappear from? Like, a lot of the shots that Sid came up with were from his own hard work. He created his... And then he shot. Rather than trying to pass, he just shot it. I don't don't understand this up-and-down nature with Crosby at the moment in regards to... What looks like work ethic, which it's not. So what's what's going on in that environment, do you think, that's making this such a polarizing effort from game to game? I think um, last game came at the wrong time. They played the Dallas Stars. And guess you legitimately what? Think it was the opponent just being so much better at the moment. Pittsburgh kicked their ass in the first period. Malkin had a breakaway did. that didn't go in, and... On the game, they, as well. Yeah, and that game could have really gone a few different ways early on, but then Dallas gets one that, you know, what did what did the Dallas color guy say? Like a mortar of some kind. It just yeah, it was brilliant. It was a brilliant goal. <laughs> yeah, it was just it was a weird goal. Like it floated. And it looked like What's it was the- on a high stick, and it came down, but nobody ever hit it. It was flurry just either didn't see it or missed it. It wasn't a good goal at all. It looked like he just didn't see it. You can tell he was standing there, and the next minute you know, he he just sees this black thing fly past his shoulder, and it's in the net, and he's like, what the fuck? Where'd that come from? (laughs) The the kind of goal that you're you're taking it to the other team the whole period, and that goes in, and you're like, god damn it. (laughs) That's really the only reaction as a player you could have. Like, come on, man. And And he's not given up many like that. In a while now, so I'll forgive him. It was on a that weird one. play. That wasn't like a t- gaff like in the past, but but that couldn't happen when you're out playing out playing a better team like that, and you can't have the softy going at that time. No, and and it, it sort of did sort of snowball in regards to what happened for the, the the rest of the game in regards to the four goals they they gave up. But he had a couple of screen shots that he couldn't see and. The Klingberg shot was amazing. Exactly. No, I know. How are you supposed to to stop that? Like, he got his glove out in the right direction, but he was leaning the complete wrong way. And then, you know, Scuderi tries to play goalie again on him, I think, on the third goal. And the game's toast by then. And then you've got the Spezza fourth. Or was it the Spezza was the third goal? 
Anyway, it was a bullet of a shot and one that you wouldn't you would want Fleury to have. But with the turnover that was there, wasn't set to, to even attempt that that Spezza save. So it's I don't I don't know. I thought this team would be would be more fun to watch. I thought they'd give up goals. I, I really did because of their back end. But I thought with the type of talent they've got on the back end, they'd at least be able to get the puck up the zone for the forwards to do stuff with it. And at the moment, I, I think having Scuderi in there throws everyone out. I, I think if they put it is unacceptable. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. It is unacceptable that he plays nightly. Unacceptable. There is no excuse for it. It needs to stop. And to hell with it. <laughs> I think I think if they get Clendinning and Pouliot back in, Pouliot will end up back in the lineup at some stage this ah, year. Ah, Pouliot, power play goal in Wilkes-Barre tonight, by the way. Yeah, he, he will he will end up back in the lineup, um, and I think if they get him and Clendinning back in that lineup, yeah, they're going to screw up in their own end, and that's where they're going to have goals scored against them. But, but what the hell, to... Skinnery's screwing up? How about last night? You know that that Perron play everybody was on David Perron, like he gave that yes, terrible the pass. Yes, it screwed him around. It no, it wasn't to him. It... That's the problem. Scuderi missed that D to D pass to Mata so bad, yes, that it went, it went to Perron, who was like, yeah. "Shit!" <laughs> and then yeah. he made a really bad play, and he shouldn't have made terrible. that play because he has the hands and the mind to not do that. But he's not playing well. He's, you know, I don't know. I don't know how many people in our audience have played the sport, but it moves really fast out there. And when you don't have your confidence. That really compounds the problem, and you start to rush your choices, and they're not always great choices, and I think that's exactly (laughs) what happened with David Perron on that one. But really, the play was the genesis from an unskilled defenseman with no puck skills that couldn't make a D-to-D pass. That That does not take David Perron off the hook at all. But that situation doesn't exist if a competent guy can make a D-to-D pass in the freaking zone uncontested. Yeah. No, and and that was the thing. Like, I got there and and Perron collected it out of his skates, spun, and passed to Gino's voice, but missed missed the pass as well. Like you said, all those things. Game moves quickly, lack of confidence, missed the skilled play that he probably would normally normally hit. One that you probably wouldn't really want to try and make, though. Because you have a look at the result. You turn it over right at the blue line, inside the blue line, and you've got that forward firepower that Dallas have. You then see the result. But don't forget, Scuderi made that pass from the other side. He should technically come back to the middle of the ice before he goes up the ice. He was nowhere to be seen after making that pass. Well, glaciers don't move quick. It's just, yeah... I just think if you're gonna have if you're gonna have players in the back end that screw up, at least have players in the back end that are gonna screw up. That can at least make up for it, for it by creating offense the other way. And Scuderi can't, Lovejoy can't, but Lovejoy doesn't make the egregious errors that Scuderi does. But you can put Lovejoy out there with a guy like Pouliot or a guy like Clendinning, and he can be that so-called defensive defenseman or that so-called solid player back there that allows the other guys to be a little bit more freewheeling because they know that he's going to be in the right position. Because Lovejoy generally is in the right position. He just usually gets out-muscled because he doesn't have the physical skill set or 
players just get around him because they're too quick for him. And that's okay as your number six because as a general rule, you're not going to want to have him out there against the top guys that can fly by him anyway. I try to look past the stigma of the trade, you know, because it's not his, well, no, it's not his fault, you, but it's it's tough. No. I know it sh- I, I, I know it should be there, and it's just not. And yeah, he's I, he's not good enough either. <laughs> but him as a six is okay. He's not a six though. That, well, that the, the way the roster's constructed, they can push him down into a six. And that's the thing. If you get Marta back to being somewhat normal, you can have Latang, Cole. That's Marta. the biggest disappointment. Marta not yeah, but even close. Expect, but he's yeah. not even close. He's one of the worst defensemen so far, and he that's crazy. He looks. He looks scared along the boards, and I legitimately think it's his shoulder more than anything else that he's worried about. I think he's worried about it getting jammed up. He needs to just get hit and get up and go. Oh, I'm okay. Because at the moment, he's not been plastered in a situation where his shoulder's exposed to have it pop on him again. And it'll happen eventually, and hopefully that'll, you know, it's the whole days of thunder, get through the freaking crowd of cars and off you go. So you kind of hope that that happens to him. He gets hit hard in a situation where his shoulder's exposed. I'm not worried long-term it, with him, I'm, it, but it's not helping sure. in the now. Yeah. No, no, that's the thing. I'm literally thinking about it now. He just, he doesn't want to... You know, poke the stick in areas where he normally would that would expose his shoulder. You can see it on the boards. He he's tentative, and fair enough. I've got no problems with him being tentative, but it's not helping him now, and not helping the team now. And the team for this year needs him up and going now. So, and he could be he could be okay with Pouliot next to him or with Clendinning next to him if he gets past that mental hurdle at the moment. He's nowhere near it. You're right. So, you know, we've kind of just uh, not spoken a lot of kind words about their defense core. I'll, we haven't even mentioned Chris Letang, but I, I, I just want to say he's still kicking ass and taking prisoners. Yes. Uh, but outside of that, it's been kind of blah. Well, what, what can they do? I legitimately think they should bring Clendinning in and bring Pouliot up and just deal with the pains in the defensive end of the zone and just build from there. Is that enough? I don't think it's enough, but it'll be enough for now. Like hold, so like holistically actually... for the roster for them to compete because they're in a win-now window. What, yeah, they what, have to look that What can they do? I, I think it's a process. I think they bring the young guys in, get them to play, Spend fifth. They will win some. They'll lose some. They might lose more than they win. Not it's just not the D. I'm just. I'm talking overall. No, no. This is the thing. I, I'm. I know you're talking about the whole lineup, but get get the back end sorted in regards to know what you've got, and then from there you can work out from the the forward pack who you're going to have to get rid of to try and get someone in to fix the back end and balance you out. And you, you you've, you've advocated trying to strengthen the left side of the team. By trading away from an area of strength, which is well, the right hand side. I, I'm not suggesting, and maybe I didn't do a terrific job of expressing that in the article. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not saying trade patch. I wrote an article today that brought up the idea of moving Hornquist for help in he other was, areas. He, now, he, one he, of the areas, the, left wing, top six. That wouldn't be my top concern. I, I would look defense more personally 
but I didn't look up and down some other rosters other than I thought TJ Brody, they both make around the same amount of money, but Brody has so much more term on it. I don't know if Calgary, I, I didn't think that matched up. But, like, the problem is Kunitz has no value right now. He's got one point in, like, 30 games. That's And he's playing with Sid, so that's not very good, <laughs> to put it, to put <laughs> well, it kindly. David Perron, not doing anything right now, playing on the fourth line. That's not good. Plotnikov, yeah, you know. He has no value in a trade, right? I mean, no, he doesn't. But I don't think he's. I, I think he's come as I thought he would. I don't think he's. He's not disappointed me in regards to what he's provided, but he doesn't provide you with an option to get rid of him for someone else. But unless Kunitz and Perron kind of magically turn into the ceiling versions of what they were, there's a problem here. Yeah, there is. You're right. And Pittsburgh has Kessel. Hornquist, Dupuy, if you want to count him as a, a right wing, which you certainly can because that's where yeah. he's played a ton, Eric Fair, and Bo Bennett, and Daniel Sprong. You have a lot there, and you only need three of the five to sh- – or six. Well, with Hornquist, there's six. You only need three of those six to shake out because you got Brian Rust who can play a fourth-line role. Yeah, that's not the best fourth-line player in the world but i don't think it's uh anywhere close to what they were throwing out there with craig adams and lapierre yeah. sill and that kind of stuff so every every that's team a, kind of has a, that that's a low bar to get above though so but it having brian russ play fourth line minutes isn't going to kill the team that's like no you're right. i agree so I just you, yeah. you know your other option is to tell Hornquist, goes hey you're going to start playing left wing or Bo Bennett, if you ever are healthy, you're going to play left wing. <laughs> e- even though he clearly showed right wing with competent players, he's pretty good. In fact, I made a, a kind of a – it was more of a tweet to compliment Carey Price today. But I threw Bo in there that he scored 16% of the goals against Carey Price this year. <laughs> and that was because Carey Price in six games has only given up six goals and Bo's goal was one of them. So, uh, <laughs> but he was playing really good. Eric fair has been known to be able to jump into Washington's top six as a, uh, right winger. I think Pittsburgh, if they really want to get smart, will play all outdoor games and just play Eric fair 25 minutes a night. Probably get, <laughs> probably get three goals a game. That guy is like the, uh, Absolute specialist beast of the outdoor games. Now, this I'll say, somebody else on Twitter today gave me an interesting idea. Uh, Nick Mercandante, who who I hung out with at the uh, RIT analytics thing, uh, very very bright guy, Rangers guy, uh, goalie guy. But he has uh, he's he's actually worked with uh, Nick Benino in the past as a, I, I believe a coach. So he he's kind of followed his career, and and he was kind of saying maybe uh, maybe move Nick Benino off center and give him a little left wing action with Evgeny Malkin, and I thought that was interesting because the the little small samples that we've seen with Benino, he's he's shifty, he's not fast, but he's really shifty, really good hands, and kind of knows the, how to get into open spots, 
And who better to play with than that, if you're that guy than Evgeny Malkin? So maybe they could create a left winger by shifting somebody else, and then when Eric Fair comes back, have him be the third line center. Yeah, and that's kind of my point. It feels like the coaching staff is still trying to work out what they've got up front. It's just that one whole heart, like you said, one third of the ice is just being production starved. They're getting, they're giving the coaching staff absolutely nothing at the moment, and it's making the team look very, very bad. But I think it comes back to the ability of the team to get the puck out of the zone with any speed, and then, like you said, keep the puck in the zone with any mean, chance meaning, of doing Meaningful creative. pressure, not just we have yeah. the puck in the zone and my slug defenseman can't walk the blue line to draw the guy over so that I can pass it back to the other guy coming off the wall with time and space. Nope, I'm going to yeah. be stationary, and my options are get the shot block or just jam it up the wall back into traffic, and that's been a real so, problem. The, that's the thing. Clendinning and Pouliot have shown that they're capable of doing that which means that you've got a chance for those creative forwards of yours to do something positive. At the moment, it's the same thing with Martin. Martin's got absolutely no confidence at all in stuff that he was doing before he got injured. And you get there and go, well, he's not doing it. Scuderi's not doing it. Lovejoy doesn't have the skill set to do it either. Eric Cole has shown that he can. Um, you've got Chris Letang is the only one out there that has got the capabilities of, of doing those things at the moment. And he's playing nearish to 30 minutes a night. It's fantastic that he can, but there's still 30 minutes that he's not out there to be able to help those forwards do that. I legitimately think they need to get the young guys in, find out what they've got and go, all right, this is the sort of defenseman that we need to try and acquire and try and acquire it from that right-hand side of the ice. And I think you'll find that the left side of the office will sort itself out. They'll work out where those players slot up and down the lineup. And you're right. They might do something like a Benino across to the left or Eric Fair across to the left. Mm, I don't um, like the or, Eric Fair across to the left when he's a, a dual center right wing. I think you kind of stick no, with that. Dupuis to, to the left. Yeah, or see what Sprong can do on the left-hand side in that top six. Well, position. here's the yeah. thing with Daniel Sprong. Just play the kid. F it. Yeah. Play him. If he screws up, what's the worst thing? Kunitz and Piranha have been doing it for the whole year. Yeah. And, and look, this is the thing. You're at about set, you're at seven games now. You get there, you're pushing 10% of the season's done. Now's the time to start looking at changing things up. And I mean really changing things up. Not just like all those guys that aren't producing. You can almost put Hornquist into this as well. Flip them. Move them around. Well, they, well to, to, to the credit of the coach today... They did massively change the lines today. It will be Dupuis, Crosby, and Hornquist. And it will be... Uh, who the hell was that? I'm assuming it'll be Kunitz, Juno, and Kessel, although I'd much prefer it to be... I don't think Boston. it is. Kunitz is on the third line. I'm okay with it. Then it might be Perron. And, and you get no, there... No, and... he's on the fourth line. <laughs> oh, it's, Pl- so it's Plotnikov. It's Plotnikov. Who I don't think is that guy for that spot. But... Plotnikov has looked fantastic with Benino and Bennett. That, that line, I know Bennett's obviously injured, but if you can get those three to play consistently together, I think they'll be a great third line. It just means you've got to work out who, you, out of all those guys on the left side that we've mentioned, who's going to actually fill those top two roles. I mean, Perron's got so much to play for. He's got a new contract to play for. 
he's got performance. Here's the criticism of him that I just do not like. I, I don't think he's. I don't think it's lack of effort. No, I agree with that. And that's the thing. Like, you know, you get feedback when you write articles. Like, people didn't like my Hornquist. How do you how do you think about trading the hardest working guy on the team? Like, you know what? He's aesthetically the hardest working guy on the team. Are we really thinking that these other guys aren't working hard? Like, Sid's not working hard, and, and Gino's not working hard, and these other guys aren't working hard? Yeah, Hornquist is a bulldog. There's no arguing it. But just this idea, oh, he's the hardest. Come on. <laughs> he works hard. Yeah, of course. They all do for the most part. Who doesn't? It often, it often comes down to who's got an efficient-looking skating stride and who doesn't. I think that has a lot to do with it. Because you look at Gino, and he looks like he's not trying, but he is flying out there and working his ass off. He's got a wonderful skating stride. You look at Hornquist. His skating strides nowhere near as efficient as Gino's, and he looks like he's trying with everything that he does. And he is. And he is, but so yeah. are the others. Yeah, yeah. That, there's nothing wrong with that. It just it comes down to the aesthetics of how the players skate, and you know you get the. Gonitz is working hard for crying out loud. It's just not doing anything. Yeah, it's it's not for, it's not from lack of effort. It's not from lack of trying. It's not from lack of thinking. It's just not there for him. And. You 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 were bullish on him returning to what he had been like previously before he hit that freaking thirty game hole sort of thing. I don't and know if I thought he'd up. hit that ceiling again, but geez, I really didn't think seven games in, getting top six minutes, he'd be pointless. I I, I did not see that coming. But no, who, I mean, neither did I. There's nothing there that I don't know. That's been the biggest disappointment. And, and and once again, through all of this conversation, we've not complained about Fleury. There's nothing to complain about. He's been no, uh, he's great. sliver above average, even though I think some people think he's been, like, this outstanding superstar wall guy. But, like, you start looking at some of the other numbers around the league, and, you know, he's above average, which is good. That's good. You can That's win a lot of games with that. Yep. Don't forget, though, two of those games he's given up seven goals to one team. <laughs> that is very fair. D- Dallas, you know, Dallas will do that to you. Yeah. No, so that's a good. It's, it's, that is a good point. That's fair. It's one of those things. Where it will be. It will be very interesting to see where it all sort of ends up with him. And it's small you know, samples. 20, it's tough with small samples. In. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Twenty games in, I, I think we'll find that his statistics will be above average and Pittsburgh can't complain with that they're playing him they're paying him above average for goalkeeper salary so you want, um, you want some fun with small samples yeah 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 Mark andre Fleury even strength save percentage after the Dallas game he was in the 930s he's now at 925 which is above average uh, but Thomas Grice is sitting at 940. Yeah, I'm not. Don't, don't 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 twist my words. I'm not saying that Grace is, <laughs> but I mean if you know, small samples. No, dude, that was a small sample size example. You weren't comparing the two goalies. But that but, was funny. But flurry out of goaltenders that have played a hundred minutes so far this year is twenty fourth. 
So yeah, but I think I think I think that's being destroyed by playing Dallas twice. I don't have to see them again for the rest of the year, which sucks as a fan, but that's the reality of it. I, I think a lot of the goalies in the East have a chance to pad their stats against some very bad teams. And that's the, the reality of, of where he's going to end up, I think. Um, and that's just the way it is. They have to get through the East. So that's fine. I mean, last year they destroyed the West, the Penguins. They just couldn't beat. They've done that for beat, years, though. Oh, no. I, I, I'm well aware of that. And you get there with it and it's like, they have issues on that team. There are a lot of other teams with issues that at the moment aren't being exposed. Um, you can usually see that if a goalie is performing, you know, in the in the top 10 in the league, it's usually covering it up. If your goalie is performing in the bottom 10 of the league, it's usually not covering it up. I mean, you look at Columbus, you can, you can look at Minnesota last year, Colorado this year, Calgary... And even Edmonton, if you want to look at Edmonton in regards to they've lost them games they probably wouldn't have wanted to, it, it's come down to their goaltending. Buffalo have that issue that, that Leonard's out. They're relying on two guys that are sort of career backups to take the reins and, and, and save their ass when they screw up, and they'll make a lot of mistakes. It's difficult in that situation. I'm trying to... Goalies? Yeah, well, goalies, you know. Goalies are... Coach killers and season killers. It, it's it's how it works. And, you know, you can have a great goalie that... I mean, you think about it. If last year, if Chicago couldn't have... Who was their backup? Was it Rana last year? Yep, I think so. Yeah. If, if Rana didn't come in last year and save that Nashville series, that whole legacy argument of Chicago would be gone. But he did come in, save that series, and off they went. So it shows you how inconsistent goalies can be. <laughs> well, the, so Pittsburgh, the teams they've lost to, Dallas twice, Montreal, Arizona. Arizona's probably the only one that's disappointing to me. But uh, I'll say this. Those teams are combined 17, 4, and 1. And back to the goalie thing, what, they lose to Montreal, yes. Well, best goalie in the world at the moment. He's leading the NHL, 972, even strength save percentage. And then Mike Smith, Arizona, 963, is number two. And they beat Roberto Luongo, who's a 960, who's third overall. So they've played the top three goaltenders so far this year. And Antti Niemi, for whatever reason, decided that his two good games this year would be against Pittsburgh. It's, it, and, and this is the thing when you get so to that's a little break, context on what's kind of happened no, so far. and that's 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 a really really good thing to to bring out because if you're a Penguins fan, there are so many Penguins fans that are jumping off bridges at the moment and wanting to tear this team down, get rid of the coaching staff, all of those sorts of things. Oh, every fan it's base what, has them, you know. They can no, no, I I, I know, but I because I, obviously I follow Pittsburgh. They're the you know, you, you, you're in that sort of community and you, you, you see this sort of stuff or hear this sort of stuff and you go, I still don't think there's a need to panic. They're still winning games and losing games, winning games. If they go if they go 50-50 up to, like, game 30 and they start to work it out, they will win games in bunches. They will win four out of five. They will win three out of four. They will win five out of six. And they will accumulate those points through. And 50 games is enough 
to catch up what they're going to be short of at the moment. They kind of can't let it get to the halfway mark of the year and try to do that. So they've got time to try and sort this out and work things out. So I just think the stubbornness for me with Scuderi is just mind-boggling and just baffling. Just sit the mother effer and play the young guys and and let them learn from their mistakes and and have the skill set to make up for their errors. You cannot play a guy void of puck skills in this day and age. But they do no. every night, and they have done it for because Ray Shero made a mistake. Uh, so Pittsburgh that, coming up. That, that mistake doesn't doesn't indemnify the current coaching staff for continuing to play. No, no, no. But you, it created the potential. Yeah, that's all right. I'm saying. So Pittsburgh. This may get uglier before it gets better. Oh, I agree. Uh, next two games are both away. Saturday and Wednesday. Nashville, yeah. Washington. Oh. So That'll be fun to watch, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I agree. Then there's a little reprise. Buffalo, Toronto, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary. Which I think is pretty good. You mix in a Montreal, and then you get Columbus, New Jersey. So the there's potential to lose another two in a row here. A very high potential. Uh, don't be jumping off bridges. Quite. How many? How many games? Was that seven games you just listed off there? One, two, three, four, five, six. Seven games is uh, Nashville, Washington, Buffalo, Toronto, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary. And uh, they can get, only one home game in the mix there. So they can get to 14 games and have 14 points, if not 15 or 16 points from that, from OT losses and stuff, and basically be 7-7. Seven and seven. Do you know what I mean? Yes. While they're, still trying, while they're still trying to work this out, like... This is the problem. They haven't started, you know, zip at eight. Yeah, they're not. So they're not, not Columbus at this point. So it, no. So it's not. It's not devastating. Yeah, everyone would like them to. Have I mean, you lose better. to Buffalo. You lose to Toronto. You play poorly against the in the the West Coast Canadian swing. swing. That's not good. You lose to Jersey. Just uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so that's the thing. There are situations here where it could get ugly really quick, but. They could still be at 500 come game 14, and I'm okay with that. As long as in the next seven games they start trying things and try to work stuff out differently. I would like them to blow up their power play and implement what you've suggested, um, but it looks like they're stubbornly going in every other direction. I think they listen to this podcast, and I think they just don't want to do what you say. I don't think they listen to the podcast. <laughs> I, well, I'll say this. I think... I think there's some within the organization that do, just not those decision makers. Um, yeah, the power of play. Eh, you know how I feel about that. It's yeah. their, their setup is crap for the most part. Sid, I think that falls on Sid. I, yeah, I remember us having that conversation at one stage. He wants that wall, that half wall. He's not going to let it go. And um, I don't think he's the best guy on the he, he, Very few teams he could play on 
and there would be a guy better than him suited for the half wall. Unfortunately for him, he's on a team that has an that has an Evgeny Malkin who is better on the right half wall than he is. So what they've done is they've split him, and Malkin's on the far left side, which isn't great for one timers, but. But if you're putting Evgeny Malkin on the left side, you you know what that means, right? Who, yeah. Who else is not on the power play? They've uh, taken well, they've taken Kessel off. <laughs> yeah. I, Which is asinine. I'll, I'll, give coach, I'll give the coaching staff credit though. They've realised that that's where they're being forced into. So they've tried to find different ways to do it. This isn't I, complicated. No, I, that, and that's that's the other problem. I, you, you, <sighs> You can tell by the tone of both. Sit down low, goal line, tips, puck retrieval, everything you want, vision from down low, Gino, half wall, poise, passing, bomb, Latang up top. Yeah, I've never been thrilled with his power play play. Uh, But his own entries kick ass. That's what helps them. Kessel, the ability to aggressively... Take the puck, and and he's so good at challenging the PK guy to see what he's going to do. And if they passively let him, he just goes and he shoots. But he has this great skill of uh, retreating where he sucks the guy back towards him without losing the puck to make another pass, and that opens up some other lanes. However, we don't get this set up often enough to utilize all of this. So, you know, whatever. Yeah, well, uh, um, oh, good grief. All I know is that this year is going to be frustrating, exciting, baffling, enjoyable to watch, um, and frustrating. Yes, I said that twice. Um, I have no, like, I have no stake in if they win or lose. I've, I, I used to be a fan growing up, and that stuff bothered me. Uh, you know, doing what I do now, the role kind of, the mentality has changed a little bit for me. I, I just like, you know, watching the players do fun things. I just want to see fun things, and they're not really doing a good job at putting them in the players in situations to do those things. Like, I, I think that might be one of the reasons why a lot of fans are all over the coaching staff, is that I think they'd be okay with the coaching staff if they were putting players into positions to succeed. And then the players were just failing at that. And you, and you can see, you, you can make that separation. At the moment, I think most of the fan base are just pissed that it doesn't seem as though the coaching staff are putting them into a situation where they can succeed. And I, I don't blame the, the, the fan base for, for being angry at that aspect of it. I, think Mike, I don't think it's horrible yet. I think Mike Johnston has been less than ideal with his player personnel choices. You've been on that from pretty early last year, actually. But I don't hate the other stuff he does for the most part. No, I don't hate them. And um, but if you're not getting the personnel things right, no matter what you, it's like teaching. I, I I teach high school health, and you can have the best lesson plans in the world, which would be the X's and O's, correct? Correct. But if you're not um, creating a, a proper learning environment where the students are paying attention, the students are engaged, the students are in the right places, or, you know, 
nothing will the, the lesson plan fails. And right. I and I don't think he's creating that proper environment with where he's kind of piecing together the players to get that nice lesson plan working correctly. And um, that I think that's what bugs me the most because you know. Yeah, I've screwed. No. I, trust me, I've screwed that up in, uh, professionally, and you know, you, you you live and you learn. You you make some mistakes and you alter it, and you you put that in the memory bank. Hey, that lesson didn't, uh, or or my classroom management skills were uh, that that didn't work. <laughs> we won't do that one again. Uh, and but, but you learn from it and you change. This next seven game stretch is I'm hoping the coaching staff going, all right, my X's and O's are fine. Let's work out how to make it a conducive to positive outcomes environment. Look, get, getting away from Pittsburgh and going on a little bit of a West Coast swing through Canada might help them work that out. They come, If they come back with Team a, bonding. A, it, yeah. No, no, trust me. I, I enjoyed road trips uh extended road trips with the hockey team they, really they can help extended road trip it's so much fun it is and 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 guess what the sole focus is is the hockey yeah so nothing else it's great it helps those kind of trips can help but if, if they if they do come back if they do come back at like six and nine or or you know six and six and seven or something along those lines it, it's such a different if they only win three games in the next seven, then you can get there and start to go. Yeah, that's not there idea. are there are some issues with what's going on, but it'll come down to how they lose, I think. Yeah, but at the end of the day, at some point, you gotta get some results. Correct. You really do. It's the Kunitz argument. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. You can only ride something for so long. It. it you know, what's the sign of madness? Repeating the same thing over and over with no change. Something like that. Yeah. So they're going to have to work out how they're going to make that change very soon. I think we bitched enough about the team. <laughs> yeah, I really didn't think we would, but we really, really did. Eh, you know, it happens. It does. Anything else? Um... No, I think that'll do. Um, something that I, that sorry, something that neither no. of us have done a great job of. We 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 post on Twitter for questions, but we don't do it until an hour before the podcast on a Friday. <laughs> so if you ever have questions, send them our way. You can do it at any point in time. We'll take some good ones, good thoughtful questions. All I was going to say before that was that if you are enjoying the podcast, some subscriptions would be much appreciated. Obviously, you don't have to. It's voluntary. We're not ever going to block the podcast and make it a subscription only. That would just be crazy. Um, but, yeah, it would be much appreciated. I haven't brought it up in a while. So that would be good. Yeah, and at, you can do that donation uh, at – the podcast page at hockeyhurts.com. Uh, you can find myself on Twitter at Gunner Stahl. You can find Cameron at Walshy66. Uh, you can buy the Hockey Prospectus 2015-16 book. Uh, Do that. At hockeyprospectus.com. It's a good read. Yes, except for the Pittsburgh and Columbus chapters. Some moron wrote those, so. 
<laughs> on that note, I think we're done. I think so too. So, till next week. See ya.